Take your Bibles, church. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to go to Genesis 12 and Genesis chapter 17 in just a moment. We uh, began a series uh, last week entitled Signs, Seasons, and the Second Coming. If you were not able to be here last Sunday, I encourage you to go to our website, take that app that you've got, the Victory Family Church app. Still has, I believe, last week's message on there. Uh, it's a little long. It was an introductory to where we're going to move into studying what the Word of God says, both Old and New Testament, concerning the last days. I believe we are in the last days. I believe we have been in the last days for since the resurrection of Christ. But I think there was a shift, I told you last week, that happened in the early uh, 1900s here uh, on our earth that shifted us into a a more rapid uh, speed into the, the last days. And I think this 2020 whole thing going on that's just out of whack and weird is that um, there's been another shift. And so my desire as your pastor is not to scare you, not to hype you, not to try to pack the house because everybody wants to know what the end times are about, but it is simply to bring some instruction, some direction, some clarity, and some encouragement. That if we have just taken into a new level towards the, the last days and the fulfillment of the end times, then what do we need to be doing as the church? What do we need? How, what's our response need to be? How do we need to align ourselves with God? So if you didn't get to hear the introductory last week, I, I, I'd encourage you uh, to go do that. I will say that I said last week, uh, I am not an expert in the end times prophecies of the Bible. I can read them just like you can, and, and I can pray and ask God for wisdom, and sometimes he gives me that, and sometimes i got to find help. And so I'm using a couple other resources, Dr. David Jeremiah, uh, who's a, a great teacher of God's Word, a great hero of faith that I follow. Uh, I use his materials even as mentoring my own self spiritually. Uh, using some of his materials, Dr. Jimmy Evans also uh, has written uh, extensively on end times and made us uh, a lifelong uh, pursuit of studying end time prophecy, using some of his resources, others uh, that are there, Tim LaHaye and some others. So I just want to preface that so you don't think, wow, now, you're going to hear some stuff today that God gave me. You're not going to know which one's which, though. So <laughs> you'll probably say, oh, no, that was Mark. That couldn't have been David Jeremiah. I've heard David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah is much deeper than that. But try not to, try not to judge, okay? So uh, this morning we're beginning part number two, and we're going to talk about Israel this morning. Eyes on Israel. Now, this is going to be a lot of history. I don't know how you did with history in school, and I don't know what your thoughts on history are, but you've got to hang in there because this is not just history. This is prophetic history. The purpose of this history lesson today is for you to recognize everything else we're going to discover about the prophecies concerning the last days are going to come to pass because look what's already come to pass. And the faithfulness of God here means this stuff is definitely coming to pass. Okay? So everybody say, I'm with you. All right, stay awake, stay awake. So we're going to talk this morning about Israel. We can't talk about the last days, we can't talk about end time prophecies without an eye on Israel. Because you see, every prophecy of the Bible deals with Israel. If we see something that relates to us personally, it was for Israel and we become a part of it 
through faith in Christ, engrafted in. If we see something that we think testifies or identifies the condition in place of the United States of America right now, it is because that is a place Israel was at one time and God spoke to them. So as he spoke to them, he speaks to us. So we can't understand the end time prophecies without understanding God's love, God's care, God's concern, God's activity with the nation of Israel. Every Old Testament prophecy was given. Every end time prophecy centers around Israel. All of God's dealings with humankind on the face of the earth are through Israel. How God dealt with Israel is how he deals with humankind. So this morning we're going to look at God's activity with his, his people, the nation of Israel. On Friday, May the 14th of 1948, 4 p.m. in the afternoon, the location is the Art Museum in Tel Aviv, Israel. The highest-ranking Israeli leader, David Ben-Gurion, stands at a podium, and he makes this declaration. It is on that day that the British-Palestinian mandate has now been lifted. That had been the governing body and governing principle over that area of the Middle East until May 14th. That expired, and Britain did not choose to extend that mandate, and so Ben-Gurion stands at a podium in Tel Aviv, Israel, and he says these words. This right is the national right of the Jewish people to be masters of their own fate, like all other nations. Israel has not been a nation for a few thousand years now. Accordingly, we are here assembled, and by virtue of our natural and our historic right, God-given historic right, and on the strength of the resolution of the United Nations General Assembly, Hereby declare the establishment of a Jewish state in Eretz Israel to be known as the state of Israel. With that declaration, Israel became a nation. In just those few moments, a nation was born. Because of time differences, the following, what would, would then be the, the following day, he made that statement on the 15th of May. At 6 p.m. in Washington, D.C., President Truman makes a declaration that the U.S. supports and, and declares that Israel is a sovereign nation. The United States was the first nation to align itself with the new nation of Israel. And still, what, 70-something years later, we're still only one of a handful of nations that choose to recognize the sovereignty of Israel as an independent nation. A nation was born. So what's the importance of this for you and I? Two things. Number one, that day, May 14th, 1948, ancient prophecies were fulfilled. One was specifically fulfilled. Another was set into motion that is being fulfilled even still today. There were two prophecies. I alluded to them last week. Isaiah chapter 66, the prophet Isaiah says this, Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Now, Isaiah was making that statement to the exiles that were in Babylonian captivity. And he's 
seeking, God is seeking to encourage that remnant of people that when this is over, this, you're, you're in this season of judgment, but when it's over, be encouraged because I'm going to make you a great nation again. Now, it didn't happen in their lifetime, and it didn't happen in the lifetime of their children or their grandchildren or even their great-grandchildren. It happened sometime later. It happened on May 14, 1948. But God was faithful to fulfill the prophecy. You see, the Israelites were thinking, wait, how can God do anything with this mess we're in? Our city's been destroyed. Our temple's been destroyed. He doesn't like us. We're in captivity. We're under his judgment. And God's saying, look, I've made a covenant with you. I'm going to restore you. And they're thinking it's impossible. And he says, look, here's going to be a sign to you. Can a nation be born in a day? And we know the answer is it certainly can. Yes, it was. The second prophecy then. was this, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12. The prophet speaking says, And he will gather the scattered people of Israel from the four quarters of the earth. In A.D. 70, and Jesus, as we looked at Matthew 24 last week, Jesus said, look, every stone in this temple is going to be cast down. And not one stone will be left on another. That's when... The disciples said, well, when will all this happen? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you what the signs are. And Matthew 24 and 25, he gives that. But in just a few years, that statement by Jesus, that prophetic statement of Jesus that the temple would be destroyed happened in A.D. 70. The Romans, who were already uh, governing over Israel, uh, just got really crazy and stepped it all up, persecuted, started killing, um, tore down the temple, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and scattered. At that point, the Jews scattered across the face of the earth. And until May 14, 1948, they had no nation to go back to. But in May 14, 1948, there were approximately 600,000 Jews in Israel. Today, there are about 9 million. Because what happened on May 14th was they became a nation again. And the Jews that were scattered across the four corners of the earth had a place to go back to. That place was Israel, their homeland. So they have been migrating back to Israel. I don't think that she's here this morning. Marita, a very faithful member of our church, she works with an organization called uh, Christian Friends of Israel. She works from home now because of all the stuff she works here in the States, does everything online. Uh, our own friends, Merlin and Margaret Hampton, who I know are watching online this morning, uh, served that organization uh, for a number of years as the presidents of the United States part of Christian Friends of Israel. They deal with refuge, refugees. They deal with the refugees that are coming back from the places around the, the four corners of the earth. They need places to live. They need food. They need clothes. They need, and their Christian Friends of Israel is there to assist those refugees as they're coming back in. But you see, that prophecy was fulfilled. So two right there, two big ones have been fulfilled and are still in the process of being fulfilled. There are still uh, Jews from across the world who are finding their way back to Israel. So that's the first one. Ancient prophecies were fulfilled. The second reason this is important to us, number two, is biblical prophecies all center around Israel. We talked about that a moment ago. It's a small nation. Land-wise, Pete, it's only, it's about the size of New Jersey. Pete just moved back here from New Jersey recently. It's about the size of New Jersey land-wise. It's only 9 million people right now. 
So it's a, it's a very small nation. Consider this. The population of New York City is over 9 million people. Just one city bigger than the entire population of the entire nation of Israel. And yet there, other than the United States of America, there is no other nation that makes headlines in the news almost daily than the nation of Israel. How is this little tiny, and if you look at it next on a map, look at it, this little tiny nation that's almost shaped like a, a boat or an ark, if you will, how is that little bitty nation so impactful and so influential and so hated and, 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 and so much in the news? It is a geopolitical center of God's activity on this earth. Hated by many because it is the apple of God's eye. And it is the center of God's activity. Well, how many of us know there's a whole lot of people don't like God? And they don't like God's activity. Therefore, they don't like anything God blesses and puts his hand on and says, you are mine. And so they hate Israel. It's that plain and simple when you lay it all out. They don't even know why they hate Israel. But let's take a better look at Israel and how Israel is pointing to the signs, seasons, and the second coming. So we're going to begin with a little bit of history here with Genesis chapter 1, the first three verses, when God calls Abraham, who would become the father of Israel. This is important to us to understand. Genesis 12 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your people, and your father's household. Now again, Israel does not even exist. It's not even on man's radar screen. And your father's household to the land that I will show you. Everybody say land. Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the first conversation God has with a man named Abraham. We don't even know Abraham's spiritual condition at the moment in time. Not even sure if he was God-fearing or not. He was in a very hedonistic, very paganist, uh, idolatrous area. God's picked a man. And he says, I want you to follow me. What we do know about Abraham is he didn't question. He got up and he just started walking. With his family, with his flocks, with all of his possessions. And he just starts walking. And he, only, he walks until God says, look at this. This is what I'm going to give you. And then he stops and he worships God. But the beginning of Israel is, is important to understanding God's dealing with Israel and in God's dealing with us in these last days. The first truth out of this understanding is this. God established Israel for his purposes. He specifically chose a man, Abraham, and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, Abraham would go on, and it would be, he would be about 100 years old before he would be aware of the fact that he was going to actually have kids. He had no kids. So just over 100 years old, he has his, his son, Isaac. He actually has two sons. He has Isaac. Well, first he has Ishmael, and that was illegit. That was since his wife, Sarai, couldn't have children, 
she said, well, here, take my, my servant. She's childbearing and, and have this son that we need for this promise to come about. What happens when we try to fulfill God's promises for him instead of through him? We end up with a huge mess. Because Ishmael, about 13 years old, his brother Isaac comes along, and Isaac is blood. And Isaac gets the blessing of Abraham, and there's this conflict between these two boys, and ultimately Abraham has to send Ishmael and his mom away because there's too much conflict. Can I tell you what? Today, you will probably hear something on the news about Israeli-Arab conflict. That is Ishmael, from which the Arabs are descended, and Isaac. And it still happens today. Don't miss God. Don't try to fix things God wants to fix. All right, you're just going to make a big mess and we're all going to be affected by it. So God chooses Abraham because he, he wants a nation that he can demonstrate himself to the earth. Among all of the pagan nations who have multitudes of gods, God says, I want people on the earth to know I am the one true God. And so I need a nation of people that I can be uh, the father of, that I can love, that I can bless, that I can prosper, that I can protect, that I can fight for. And every one of these heathen, ungodly nations that are, are worshiping hundreds of gods at a time, I'm going to demonstrate through this one group of people that there is no God greater than me. Abraham, are you on board? Abraham, yes. So God chose the nation of Israel. He created. He chose to sovereignly, in his own sovereign will, chose to create the nation of Israel. That his activity of heaven might be translated to his activity here on earth. So Abraham becomes this great father. You've got Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. And every... Jewish individual born even today is born through the line of one of those 12 tribes. Through Israel, God would choose to show his love, his providence, and his salvation to all of mankind on the face of the earth. So God created Israel for a purpose. The second truth is this. God's catalyst of blessing on this earth is Israel. He told Abram, he said, Abram, when, you, when I create this nation and these descendants from your seed, he says, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let me just ask you this morning, can anybody testify the blessing of Almighty God in your life? We just heard one in the pre-service prayer time with our worship team this morning that uh, Ethan, our drummer's little brother, was hit by a car on his bike last night and uh, could have been severely injured, could have been killed, uh, did most likely break his ankle. The hospital is going to send him to a doctor uh, tomorrow to, to look further into that. But, but based on the damage to the bike and the damage to the car and everything else, there was, it could have been far, far worse. Well, you know, the blessing and the favor of God that comes to us is because of his promise he made to Israel. You've been blessed by God with salvation. You've been blessed by God with healing. You've been blessed by God. All because God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. And through that covenant, he would bless the nations of the earth. You see, it's through Israel that we receive the most important book that's ever been written and scribed. 
the Bible. God's eternal, inerrant, authoritative word. All 66 books, with the exception of possibly Luke and Acts, written, written by Luke, were written by Jewish men. The Bible is a, a book written by Jews. Anybody find hope in the Bible this week when you picked it up and read it? Anybody find Jesus at some point in your life when you understood the gospel? Any, anybody read a promise this week that lifted your spirit? Israel gave us the most important book, the Bible. Israel gave us the most important organization. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the church. Most important entity that God would establish on the face of the earth is the church. You've heard me say it over and over again. The hope of the world is Jesus. The hope of Jesus is his church. The life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, salvation through Jesus. The only way that's going to happen across the nations of the earth and into people's lives is when the church is on mission with Jesus. Go into all the world, he said, and make disciples. The church is the hope of Jesus. You see, you and we, I, we all live in a culture today where pre-COVID, and you heard me talk about it near the end of last year, and actually earlier at the beginning of this year in the first series we did at the opening of this year, that uh, most people in our culture, in our country, could care less about church. They could, they, you know, attendance is the, is the lowest. It's not, we're talking pre-COVID. We're talking everybody's happy and unmasked and still could care less about church. Oh, we follow Jesus, but, but, but you see, Jesus, Jesus is the church. And now that we're in COVID and, and trying to come out of that quarantine time, um, I know there are people who, who aren't comfortable, and I've talked to them here at our church. They're not comfortable coming back because we're, we're not making everybody wear masks. By law, we are not required to. If, if, if we were required to, we would. But as a church, our governor has said you can't, don't have to mandate it or require it. But because some of those safety measures, that I fully understand. I was at a pastor's conference this weekend with Leisha and was talking to some pastors uh, that I'm friends with from our area that were there. And we're all talking about, so how's things going since you guys got back? And how long have you been back? And this, that, and the other. And everyone, myself included, are able to identify that there's just some people who just aren't coming. It's not because they're worried about masks or anything else. It's just that spirit that's on our culture. But yet the church... The church is the body of Christ. And the scriptures say he is the head. And a body functions connected together, right? You, you, you sever your hand, and unless you reattach it within a very short period of time, the loss of life flowing to those fingers in that hand, that hand dies. It becomes useless to the rest of the body again. The church is the life flow of Jesus. Do we get it right all the time? Absolutely not. And you know why? Because we're people. My favorite quote from any of the Muppet movies was the guy that said, peoples is peoples. Now, I was a teenager, and I thought, man, that just sums up everything for me. I can now live life because I understand. 
we're just all people and peoples is peoples. But we are, we are seeking and striving to, to be that life flow. And Jesus will correct us when we need correction. Jesus will direct us when we need direction. Uh, but the reality is we, we need each other and we need that connectedness. The reality is um, online church is going to go to new levels now. But I'm still going to tell you, there's nothing like and there will be nothing that can replace. You know what? Uh, um, uh, is it Apple? I can't remember if it's Apple or Facebook. I think it's Apple. It's actually working on glasses that you can put on and another person can put on and they will be synced, I guess, Wi-Fi. And it's as though they're right there with you. And one guy was talking about technology at this conference the, this weekend and he said he sees that one day that will replace the connectedness in the local church, that people will look to that for their connection. It's still only 3D and it's still not the human touch and interaction, the physical touch and interaction. But anyway, so I'm, I, I got sidetracked. Let's get back. Anyway, that one was free. The other one you paid admission for. The rest of this. Gave us the most important book, gave us the most important organization, and gave us the most important person, that being Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is Jewish. And how in the world organizations can claim to be Christian and hate Jews and blame Jews for the crucifixion of Christ is beyond me. The man was as Jewish as Jewish gets. And he is Christ. And we are Christ in He is Christ in us. We are Christ in Him. Christians. Our Messiah. Our Lord. Our Master. Our Savior. He's, he's Jewish. God said I would bless all the families of the world through you. We've been blessed to know the gospel and to know Jesus has forgiven our sins and is Lord of our lives and lives in fullness within us today. Amen. I want to go to Genesis 17 now for this third truth. Just a few chapters over. Another part of God's talking with Abraham and dealing with Abraham on the covenant. He says these words beginning in verse number one. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So he's echoing the very first conversation in, 12, in verse chapter 12. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Now again, he's 99 years old and no kids at this point. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, your descendants after you, and the generations to come. 
to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Now notice verse 8. The whole, say land, land of Canaan where you are now reside as a foreigner, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So God takes the understanding of the covenant a little bit deeper with Abraham, and we get our third truth from this. Just a moment here. I had a little glitch on my... If anybody's interested in the weather report, it just happened to pop up in the middle of... All right, so where are we at here? Here we go. Here it is. Truth number three out of Genesis 17. God's covenant with Israel is everlasting. He said, this covenant I am making with you will be everlasting, and it will be for all the generations to come. That covenant with Israel is almost 4,000 years old. At the coming of the Messiah 2,000 years ago, Approximately 300 of those prophecies were fulfilled. We talked about that last week. We'll probably talk about it again in a few weeks. There's still prophecies yet to be fulfilled, but the covenant is still intact. Now, when you read the Old Testament and you see how many times Israel rebelled against God and disobeyed Him, you wonder, no, come on, surely God's given up on them. I mean, there's, there's, there's theology today in Christian churches that, that is what we call replacement theology, that, that God was so disappointed and done with Israel and the Jews that, that he now created the Gentile church. No, there's no replacement theology. Israel's still the apple of God's eye. What the Gentile church is, us, we are engrafted in. We get to be a part of. Jesus said, I have come for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. We get the privilege to be connected with the covenant and the promise of God for Israel. That's ours because of Christ. So you look and you say, man, God must have given up on them. God must hate them. No, every time they rebelled against God, God would warn them. And he would say, look, these things are out of alignment. He would send a prophet, and a prophet would say, here's what God says. Now, if the people would respond, okay, let's go Jonah and Nineveh. When Jonah finally gets on board, pun intended, and makes his way to Nineveh, after a little bout with a fish, he lands and he preaches to Nineveh. Now, God had said, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. Go preach to him. Well, the people, it says, repented. And so... God didn't destroy them. That's why Jonah didn't want to go. He knew God would be gracious if they repented. When Israel would hear the prophet's warning about coming judgment if they don't get into alignment, they had one of two options. Repent, get right, or God would judge them. Yes, he loves them. They are the apple of his eye. He is their father. But he would bring correction. Won't ask for a show of hands. But I bet every one of us in the house with kids had to administer some discipline every once in a while, right? Don't, don't raise your hand. But. And you as a kid, let's just be fair, you, you were administered a little bit of discipline. Why? To get you on track. And it probably worked because you're probably pretty decent. Yeah. I don't know all of you personally that well, but I mean, hey, you're here, you're smiling. So. And God would bring those judgments. But every time you read that in the Old Testament, don't give up on Israel because God doesn't give up on Israel. God restores them. 
The prophecies of Isaiah, they are to encourage those people living in 70 years of Babylonian captivity. God's going to do a new thing. Isaiah 43, do you not see it? It's springing up. He's going to make a way in the desert. He's going to make springs out of the wilderness. He's going to restore you. And he did it every time. And he's going to do it again. That's the whole process of the seven years of what we call here tribulation. It is God's dealing with Israel that ultimately, finally brings them to acknowledge the Messiah. And then all kinds of things start happening for Israel and for the earth and for the church. But God would always restore them. So three quick things here. That's our last point. These are, these are truths that build on that everlasting covenant part. God's covenant, number one, with Israel is universal. It affects the whole earth. God said, all families will be blessed by you. He says, those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you, I will curse. It's imperative that we as the church stay aligned with the nation of Israel, allied with the nation of Israel, that we stand with them. It is imperative that we as a nation stand with Israel because part of the end times includes what are called the judgment of the nations. You read it in Revelation. And when Jesus comes back and, and he sets up his rule and his reign for a thousand years in the city of Jerusalem at the end of the tribulation, he will judge every nation. You know what his, what his criteria will be? What were you with my children? Were you the one who gave the cup of water to this brother of mine? What, how did you treat Israel? How was your alignment with my people? And the nations will be judged. Now, I want you to understand that uh, uh, the significance of, of, of where we are today. I told you last week that uh, one of the things that's going to happen uh, just as Antichrist finally reveals himself halfway through the, uh, well, it'll happen at the beginning of the tribulation, but then halfway through he changes his mind, is that all the nations surrounding Israel and most of the nations of the world will make a covenant agreement with Israel for peace. See, that's how the Antichrist rises to his power when the day comes. He is a peacemaker. He is a guy. So what happens, man? The church is raptured. Millions of people are caught up, and their cars are just sitting on the side of the road, and there's nobody to make you donuts in the morning and whatever, and it, it's chaos. Somebody comes along with a plan. And because it seems so real and so right, he's elevated rather quickly. Makes peace, says he's at peace with Israel, wants the best for Israel. And then halfway through, at three and a half years into that seven years, he reveals who he truly is. And he rallies the armies of the nations to overthrow Israel. But first, all the nations have to make a, a, an agreement. So I told you last week that uh, in 70, I think it's 72 or 78 years since Israel became a nation, only two nations have signed a peace agreement with Israel. That's Jordan and Egypt. Four weeks ago, two more nations signed on in one day. One day, two nations. It's taken 70 plus years to get two nations before that. So it's happening. It's coming about. That was a prophecy that's in process of being fulfilled right before your eyes played out on the news. 
when our government and our president chose two years ago to move our embassy from, Jeru from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, huge. Or as he would say, huge. It's prophecy. It is America saying, Israel, we believe Jerusalem is your capital. Now, whether he knew how biblical it was, and I know he's got pastors and Christian leaders around him, maybe they helped him understand this, but, but the reality is that was a huge statement. And the Arab nations are not happy with us. But let's don't worry about that. They haven't ever been happy with us. Can I tell you a concern that's stirring in my spirit? What are they up to right now? Anybody heard from them? We're not hearing much news. Where, where are those enemies who snuck up on us before? Signs, seasons, pointing to the second coming. Our role, be alert. Have eyes to see and discern the times. I think we should be praying as the people of God that the plans of the enemy that are in process right now, that the back and the authority of those are broken. I just put that out there for you. I don't have a full, complete picture or answer yet, but it's been something the last several days. It's been stirring in my heart. So, we've moved our embassy to Jerusalem. It's important that we stay aligned because Jesus will judge the nations. God said in that covenant, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Let me, let me run you through this real quick. Egypt enslaved the children of Israel for 400 years. Egypt suffered for that enslavement of God's people with 10 plagues that devastated their land and their families. They were decimated. I will bless those who bless and curse those who curse. In the book of Numbers, we read about another nation, the Midianites. God raised up Israel to plunder their cities and destroy their cities and took all of their gold and their silver and all of their possessions as, as their own. The nation was destroyed. Babylon set Israel into uh, captivity. Now, God was doing that as a judgment, but he was using Babylon, and Babylon suffers because they were, one, a pagan uh, culture, and they were the ones who took Israel captive. They were overthrown by the Persians and to be no more until the Antichrist begins to rebuild Babylon, as we read in Revelation. Rome overthrew Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Rome itself, within the next 300 years, would be completely decimated. The Roman Empire would be completely brought down. Antiochus IV was one of Israel's worst persecutors. He was defeated by the Jewish Maccabeans, and he died a horrible death himself. Let's talk modern times, closer to home. Modern Russia, in the mid-18 to late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, they oppressed the people of Israel, the Jews who were living in Russia. They put them in what were called ghettos. They put them into certain housing sections that were, were very impoverished and very overpopulated. Uh, they put them, uh, uh, they, they persecuted them, they, they killed them, they, they uh, murdered them. 
and yet in the mid early 19 or not mid but the early 1900s the the communist revolution or the late 1800s wherever that was the communist revolution those czars who were those persecutors of Israel were all overthrown that entire czar rulership and authority over Russia was was broken Hitler Germany for some of us in our own generation Six million Jews were killed by Hitler's Third Reich. Hitler had a dream. Hitler had a vision of what was called the Thousand-Year Reich. And what he was saying was, I have a vision of German rule and authority and dominion for a thousand years to come. Well, we know by 1945, his regime was defeated. And very cowardly, the murderer of six million Jews took his own life rather than take the consequences. Because those who curse Israel, God curses. How about in all of our generation, 1967, Israel fights a six-day war. Here's, let me break it down for you. There were, there were uh, three or four nations, Arab nations, that were coming together against Israel. They came from the east, the south, and the north. The only reason they didn't come from the west is because Israel is bordered on the west by the Mediterranean Sea. Those Syrian ar- those, those Arab armies had 500,000 troops. Israel had 75,000. So they're way outnumbered, way outmanned. The Arab troops had 500 tanks. Israel had about 1,700. The uh, Arab troops had 900 aircraft. Israel had 175. Yet, in a six-day period, catch this, from one Sabbath to the next, in six days, they had destroyed, Israel had destroyed almost the entire Arab air forces that were, that were coming against them. They had taken back the Golan Heights, 75,000 troops against 500,000 took back the Golan Heights, the Gaza area, and the West Bank. Totally outnumbered, out manpowered, outarmed. And Israel won a battle in six days. Why? Those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. On October 15th, I love this quote from Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister. October 5th, I'm sorry, October 1st, 2015. Benjamin Netanyahu is standing in front of the United Nations Assembly. And he makes this statement. Now, it's at that time that Iran... He is talking about we're going to annihilate the nation of Israel. We're going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Benjamin Netanyahu pleads a case and he says this. In every generation, there were those who rose up to destroy our people. In antiquity, we faced destruction from the ancient empires of Babylon and Rome. In the Middle Ages, we faced inquisition and expulsion. And in modern times, we faced pogroms and the Holocaust. Yet the Jewish people prevailed. And now another regime has risen, swearing to destroy Israel. That regime would be wise to consider this. I stand here today representing Israel, a country 67 years young, but the nation state of a people nearly 4,000 years old. Yet the empires of Babylon and Rome are not represented in this hall of nations. Neither the thousand-year Reich, those seemingly invincible empires, are long 
gone. But Israel lives. The people of Israel live. History records, he says, that Israel stands on the graves of all of its enemies. Because God has made a covenant with a small nation of people through which he would bless all the nations of the earth. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And then the last truth under this unending covenant, God's covenant with Israel is unfinished. And I'll be closing right here. What we read out of Genesis 17, God says, I'll give you all the land of Canaan. The reality is Israel in its entire history from Abraham on has never possessed the complete territory that God promised to them. They've possessed parts of it, and then those parts, some of those parts have been taken back from them, and they've gone and fought to get them back, but they've never possessed all of it. So what that tells me is the covenant is not complete. It's still to come. And what will happen at the judgment of the nations when Jesus judges all the nations of the earth in alignment with Israel is now that he's king and now that he's ruler from Jerusalem, Israel gets all their land. Now, I've had you repeat the word land a couple of times as we read it in the scriptures, and, and that's important for you to know because you see the, the, the enemies of Israel are, are very real. The enemies are, are vast. Israel is a nation of 9 million people surrounded by 300 million enemies. They live in that. And it's all about land. It's all about land. The Arabs want the land. Because you see, when Israel didn't, wasn't a nation and they were all scattered, who's going to take care of that? Who's going to possess the land? Well, they, the Arabs moved in. There's only one reason there's a, a mosque sitting on the Temple Mount where the Holy Temple of God once was, and that is because there was no temple there, and there was nobody to build a temple there, and so they took that place. All of it has to do with land, and one day, all of that land will be restored back. So what does this mean for you and me today? Number one, we got to stay focused on Israel. Watch the news. Read the news. Read the things. I'm going to tell you how to be discerning in a moment, but, but keep an eye on Israel because that's where God's activity in the last days hinges. What's America doing with Israel? What's America's responses? What's, where are we at as a nation with Israel? Where, where are the nations with Israel? Where's Israel in all this right now? Keep an eye on Israel. Pray for Israel. The psalmist declares, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Second thing is this that's important for us. Don't fail Israel. Don't fail Israel. When you watch the news and you read the news stories, be discerning. Because I told you there's more people hate Israel than appreciate the value of the nation of Israel. And they hate Israel, and most of them don't even know why, but you've got to keep in mind, this isn't a, a, a thing between Arab and, and, and Israeli, Palestinian and Israelis. It's a spiritual thing against the enemy of God and God. And this is how it's being played out, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's warfare, it's spiritual warfare. 
And so there's a lot of deception that takes place. Uh, the UN, between the years of 2006 and 2016, a 10-year period, the UN Human Rights Council condemned Israel 68 times, three times more than any other nation. Because people hate Israel. Because Satan hates Israel. He hated Adam in the garden, so he struck out. He hated Jesus, the Son of God, so he struck out. And he hates the people of God, so he strikes out at them. In two thousand between two thousand twelve and two thousand fifteen, a three year, four year period of time, there were ninety seven UN resolutions that were approved at the UN. Eighty three of those ninety seven were condemning the nation of Israel. Do you think it's going to be hard halfway through the tribulation for the Antichrist to rally a worldwide army against Israel? <laughs> Not if they got cable news. It's already in motion. The attitude and the atmosphere is already there. Antichrist just has to seize it. Every conflict between the Arabs and Israelis is spiritual. The third thing we have to do then is we have to face this truth. We are living in the last days. I am not telling you Jesus is coming back this afternoon. As I said last week, I think there's still some things to be put into place. But his return is closer now than it has ever been. And what has taken thousands of years, prophecies to be fulfilled for Israel, those prophecies are starting to be fulfilled much quicker. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24? He said, or Matthew 25, he said, like a woman giving birth to a child, these things will be like birth pangs. And when you women have given birth to your children, you start a few months out with a couple of little, it's my understanding, twinges, I've been told. And then as it is closer to time for the delivery of that child and the birth of that child, those things get so intense that the doctor starts timing them. And then when it just seems unbearable, life comes. The things happening with Israel are happening quicker now than they've ever happened in their history. We are at a new level of God's activity in the last days. And I believe 2020 is all a part of that shift which means you and I need to wake up. We need to be aware. We need to be ready. And we need to be in alignment with God, with what God wants to do in our generation. I told you last week, I'll say it again today. If thinking about the end times puts fear in you, then you may want to ask the Lord, Lord, am I ready? Because the end times and the prophecies of the end times are not to meet to scare us, they are meant to encourage the believer. Because as the prophet said, look up because your redemption draws near. Jesus is coming. These are the signs that he is coming. And if you ever doubted it, look at the signs of Israel and recognize he's coming.